Well, for the last time in a long time, go to 2 Peter. Uh, we're finishing this epistle today, 2 Peter chapter 3. If you're new to Meadowbrook, it's our common practice to take a book of the Bible and work through it chapter by chapter, verse by verse, not skipping over words, not, not uh, dancing around the hard teachings. We just go through them as God has written them for us to be held and treasured and live our lives by. So 2 Peter chapter 3, we're going to look at the final two verses there today. Everybody in this room has had personal failures, and some of you probably are in the midst of some of those personal failures now. Those failures in our lives can be stumbling blocks to us, or they could be used as stepping stones elevating our life significantly. Responding well to failures as God is extending His grace to us and bringing conviction by His Holy Spirit and even rebuke by Him can mature us and strengthen us in our walk in freedom in Christ to a point that not only are we strengthened, but the lives of other people around us are strengthened. That is part of God's plan in our lives when we fail. Peter understood this very well. And I think it's from that understanding that he writes this letter to the church that's now scattered abroad because of persecution. If you remember early in his ministry, Jesus had showed the disciples in his words that he must go to Jerusalem to suffer many things from the hands of the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day rise from that grave. Peter had an especially difficult time with that idea he couldn't quite grasp the reality of that. In fact, Jesus often would have to reset him, even rebuke him, and bring conviction to him, try to reset his mind and his thinking about this correctly. And so though the Lord repetitively told the disciples his redemptive plan, they struggled to understand that. Now, perhaps there's no more greater sense of that than the 22nd chapter of Luke. Now, it's in all the gospel narratives, but if you dial into Luke, you'll remember that while they're eating the Paschal lamb and they're having unleavened bread on that Passover meal, both of which are depicting the sacrifice that would take place just a few hours later when Jesus would give his body to be broken, his blood to be shed. He was establishing the sacrifice that God would require for the redemption of our lives and souls. And he would shed his blood in a and an establishment of a new covenant, a covenant of grace. And in the midst of that meal, Jesus is telling them about this, and he is telling Peter of his impending denial. Now, again, we find them leaving that dinner table and heading toward the traditional place for them, the Mount of Olives. And while they're traveling, Jesus says to the whole of them that on this night, this night they will all betray him. He says that on this night you will fall, uh, fall from me because of what will take place. Now, if you remember the narrative, Peter pulls him aside and said, uh, they may do that, but not me. I'm different. I'm not going to act like that. Though they all fall away, I will never betray you, Peter said. Confident of what would transpire, Jesus insisted that, oh, that very night, yes, he would, three times. So if you remember that narrative of Luke 22, dial in your memory, I'll read it for you, to the 31st verse. Simon, 
Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. There's a couple of sentences there that I really want to dial into that I think are really impacting to Peter's life and certainly those around him for the rest of the time of his life and now for centuries as we have been encouraged by Peter's failure and Christ's lifting him from that. Here's what the Lord said to him, Peter, Satan has asked for you, but I have prayed for you, and notice what he's praying for him, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, you will strengthen your brothers. Now, Jesus prays perfectly. He knows exactly what to pray. He knows who to pray it for. I'm so encouraged by this, knowing that Peter was going to do what Peter was going to do that God had already told him he was going to do. But Jesus was praying that his faith would not fail. And when he returned, when he, when he understood what was happening, and when he received the conviction that God would place upon his heart, and he would move away from that in repentance, that it would be his role to strengthen his brothers. So Christ, knowing he would fail, said, I've been praying that your faith wouldn't fail. And I've been praying that when you return, you will strengthen your brothers. Now, Peter's personal failure that night was colossal. What he experienced that night after the denial was anguish and deep regret over that which he did. He was haunted by the words that just echoed in his memory. Peter was nearby when Jesus was arrested that night. And he was nearby as those kangaroo courts were in session uh, volleying back and forth. But if you remember, there was a little girl who came to him, a servant. And she said, you were with him. And Jesus was there close by. And Peter said, I don't know what you mean. I don't know him. And then again, another girl. Uh, this man was with the Jesus of Nazareth. Peter denied it. I do not know the man. And then some bystanders were near, and they said later, you too are one of them. And Peter invoked a curse on himself, and he swore, saying, I do not know the man. And that's pretty colossal, isn't it? In, in the ears of Jesus hearing that, in the sight of his Lord saying that. And though he vowed to stand with Jesus when faced with opposition, Peter failed. And he failed again. And he failed again the third time, rattled by a couple of girls and some bystanders. So Peter experienced epic personal failure. Now, mine has been different, but I can tell you I've experienced epic personal failure. Is yours coming to mind right now? The epic failures of your life? Is it draw to your attention those, those echoing words, that, that memory that you wish to be distant, that would fade, that nobody else would know about? I think at that moment, we ought to remember the Lord's prayer for Peter. I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail, and that when you return, you would strengthen your brothers. So the failure happens, no doubt. We are 
in the flesh, we were born in, which is a sinful flesh. Sin has impacted our lives because we are all born in sin. And it continues, though less because of the great work of the Holy Spirit in us and helping us to have the spirit that would dictate things over the flesh rather than the flesh dictating over the spirit. There's a war that is waging, no doubt. And because of that, you and I have some failures in our life. And here's what Jesus is praying. I'm praying that your faith won't fail. And when you return, that you would strengthen people around you, brothers and sisters in Christ, that they would be strengthened by you. Now, obviously, Peter is definitely troubled and disappointed by the sinful response that he gave that night. Regret hounded him, making it difficult for him to move past those feelings of guilt and betrayal. He contemplated just going back to his old life, no longer being a fisherman of men. He thought, well, I'll just go back to fish. Go back to my old ways. I know what that's like. I can make a living doing that. And that's where the Lord graciously finds him. He seeks him out and he finds him. Now, I think we ought to note these two important facts. Before his denial, Jesus had already prayed that his faith would not fail. Knowing the denials would come, he's praying that his faith would not fail. Listen to me. Knowing the failures that you and I have personally in our life, Jesus is praying that our faith would not fail. That's an important point. And then before committing them, Jesus is actually expressing when you return, when you, when you come back from this, when you are strengthened again, I want you to strengthen your brothers. I want you to go beyond this. I don't want you to stay in that place of regret and pull back. I, I want you to engage people in the life that I have given to you, a life of grace, mercy, forgiveness, of restoration, of hope, of ministry, now, isn't that where you and I struggle? It's not just in our sin that we struggle, but it's in the consequences that come following the sin where we want to pull back and we want to have less in, in engagement in faith and we, we want to distract ourselves from around people. We don't want to engage them in that way. We want to kind of pull back because we, we know who we are. We know what we've done. And I want you to know that was where Peter was, but Jesus is already praying, I don't want your faith to fail. And I don't want you to stay in that place of languishing. I want you to grow from that. I want this to be a stepping stone for you and for others around you. So there's a decision to be made in the grace of Christ when you fail. I, I want you to know that Satan and his horde love to tempt us. Our flesh is pretty good at that too. Luring us, enticing us. They, they say things to us in our, in our mind. It's not that big of a deal. Everybody's doing this. No big deal. They prod. And then when we justify the sin and think, well, maybe that won't be so bad. It's like they set the hook and we engage in the sin and we act on that temptation. And then immediately their discourse changes. It's no longer a temptation to lure you to the sin. It's a, I can't believe you did that. What a, what a low down what a shameful person you are. And there's low guilt on us and accuse us as they are the accuser of the brethren. And uh, when those times come, they immediately belittle us. They hope in the end that our faith will fail. It's not just about the sin. They hope your faith will fail. 
So we have to stand against temptation, not allowing our flesh to rule over us, knowing that the Lord has given us all kinds of manner of protection with his armament, protection against the schemes of the enemy. We know that the promises of God are that we should take up the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the day of evil, and having done all, we stand. This is the position that Christ has afforded us in our salvation, in our journey with him, and what the Spirit of God is empowering with uh, us to do and have and be. And this great armament that he's given to us, in his goodness, God has provided for us a shield of faith. And that shield of faith can extinguish all the flaming darts of the enemy that are shot against us. Remember, God is faithful and he will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we have the ability to, to maintain But with the temptation, he provides a way of escape that we may be able to endure it. But when we experience personal failure, let us have godly grief. And that godly grief is a sorrow over our sin. And according to Paul in 2 Corinthians, that leads us to repentance. And then as we turn from our sin, let us lean into God's grace, trusting that if We confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then standing secure in Christ, let us have sweet fellowship with him and strengthen our brothers and sisters around us. I think this is Peter's heartbeat. I think knowing what he experienced, knowing the grace that God extended to him, knowing the the prayer that God had for him that his faith would not fail and that in time he would strengthen his brothers when he came back to his senses regarding all of that. I think that's the purpose of his life and that's the essence of 2 Peter. And what we've been talking about all along, it is stand firm, stand solid, stay grounded. I don't don't want you to fail in your faith. And so when everything is coming against people of faith, there's Peter saying, oh, you know this to be true. You can stand in this. You can stand in your faith. And as he's doing so, he writes these last words, these last two sentences of the letter that sort of give a summary, if you will, to the entirety of the letter. And I think a summary of the engagement that Peter has in his ministry. And this is where I want us to be. This is where you and I ought to be challenged today. So if you're in 2 Peter, I'm in chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. You therefore, beloved, knowing beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So I want to mention three points from these two verses. And I'm going to have in every one of them the word beloved. Uh, We don't often use the word beloved. Uh, It sounds kind of old school to us, doesn't it? Like way, way old school. But beloved is a grand word. Uh, it, It is elevating people who the focus of the writer's love is given to. So he's, he's obviously referring to saints in the church of Jesus Christ that's now scattered abroad, and to us who he knows by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this is going to be the Holy Word, part of the canon of the Scripture. 
He knows this is to us as well. So he's saying to us, I haven't met you yet, but boy, you are my beloved. And one day, no doubt we will meet Peter and we will talk and we will engage in, in grand life throughout eternity. And we will be part of the beloved of Peter because we are the beloved of Christ. Uh, when you come into this place, some of you are brand new. I hope that you sense a genuineness of love that this congregation has for one another. Now, we don't get that perfect, but uh, we want to engage people in life, in our life groups, and in other ways with love. So the, the word beloved is a very particular word, beloved. Beloved, take care. False teachers will cause instability. This is one of Peter's last challenge. I mean, how many times has he told us this? But it's like one more time he wants us to have this truth. Beloved, people that I love so much, take care because false teachers will cause instability among you. In you personally, in you in the church, just take care. And he writes with this grand endearment to all the saints of God. So the end of the letter and this final warning about people who twist the scriptures to their own destruction, he is giving us cause for concern. And according to verse 15 and 16, they take the inspired word of God that was written by the Apostle Paul and others apostles and they pervert and distort those words. Listen again to those warnings that Peter gave in the preceding verses. Verse 16, there are some things in them, speaking of Paul's writings, that are hard to understand. Uh, if you took that back to the original language, it would be something like, there's some things that Paul's written about that are hard to interpret. That's okay. There's a lot of biblical truth that is difficult to interpret. And you come back to it over and over again. I was, I was discipling with somebody the other day and just saying, hey, when you come across one of those sections, and you say, this is difficult. Pause and pray. Uh, the Holy Spirit is our teacher. He will teach us from the counsel of his word. He, he will refresh us. Put a question mark by that because you're asking him to give you some insight to that. And down the line, somewhere else in Scripture mainly, there will be a text that you'll read and you'll say, oh my goodness, that refers back to this. And you go back and you say, thank you, Lord, for giving me the insight with your word. So he says in verse 16, there's some things that Paul's written about, they're hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do other scriptures. So that takes it to another level. Not only is it difficult to understand and interpret, but some people, they don't even try. They just twist it to their own destruction. They, they make that say something that it doesn't say at all. So he says in verse 17, Therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Now, Peter knew what you and I know End-time teachers can get wonky. That's probably not Peter's word, but that's his meaning. You can get a little wonky when you're talking about end times. And I can tell you that if those end-time teachers or prophets are selling books and they mention the United States as being in the Scripture, I can tell you they are wonky. And you ought to be very alert. For example, one popular speaker and writer is Jonathan Kahn. And I don't mind telling you from my perspective, Jonathan Kahn is a con man. 
Now, I know that might be offensive to some people, but I can tell you he misapplies Scripture and seems to have little understanding about proper biblical exegesis. And as a result, he makes prophetic predictions that often are wrong again and again and again. Now, you and I know what God requires of prophets. True prophets of God are 100% accurate. Not 99.9, not 95, not 90, not some of the time. 100% accurate. And here's a man that says that he speaks for God, but yet his predictions are often wrong. So if you're a follower of Khan, not only are you out 25 bucks for every book you buy, but according to the Apostle Peter, you have put yourself in an unstable place. And I'll tell you why the instability is there. Because those kind of false prophets want you to come to them for insights rather than to Jesus Christ and his holy inspired word. And that's a major problem. So Peter says that those kind of teachers bring instability to us. Because you're no longer standing on the groundedness of God's holy word. You're standing on somebody else's word. And when they prove to be an error, then you know you're on unstable ground. Now, they're convincing oftentimes, articulating convic convictions, excuse me, articulating predictions with conviction and passion. They seemingly ready people for a crisis to come, but they are often bringing instability to us, wanting us to hear from them over and over and over rather than to seek and guide ourselves with God's word. So let me just put it bluntly. If you want to know more about the return of Jesus Christ, he has given you everything he wants you to know right here. This is his word. It's not his word to be added to. It's his word that will instruct us on those kind of things. So come to the stable place of finding and knowing and reading and trusting and learning and contemplating God's word. Let this be what is your knowledge? So this message is not about the example of one false teacher, but it's about all of them. That false teachers rise and fall. They come and go. There's always someone who will rise up as others are diminishing in their so-called ministry. And they'll make claims about new insights to Scripture or new words that God has given from some ancient text. But knowing these things beforehand, Peter says, be careful so that you are not carried away by their errors. So how do we protect ourselves? Well, he goes into that next point that I've got for you. And that is, beloved, grow in grace and knowledge of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Grow in grace in Jesus. Now, according to the 18th verse of 2 Peter 3, stable people continually grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, the Savior and Lord. So if you want to grow in stability, grow in grace and grow in the knowledge of Jesus. So we know in his grace, God saves us through faith. It is a gift to us that he has given to us. The moment we are saved by his gift of grace, that begins a journey for us. And that journey is causing us to travel towards our eternal home. And now there are many, many ways in which we are engaging Christ along the way. 
But to keep us from stumbling, Peter challenges us to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. If you, if you don't want to stumble, keep growing in grace and knowledge. So spiritual growth is to advance and increase in the realm and grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Spiritual grace is that. I'm growing in grace and I'm growing in the knowledge of Christ. And because of God's grace, he forgives our sin and he imputes the righteousness of Christ in us. And in turn, we begin to engage the scriptures with the Holy Spirit and we commune with Christ and we have fellowship within his body and we serve in his mission within the body. And in doing so, we increasingly know the grace of Christ and we know him more. And that brings greater stability to our lives. So many of you, I'm encouraged by your journey in faith. I mean, I'm encouraged where you are and where you are going. You have a daily, purposeful, unrushed time in the Scripture by which you study God's Word and you spend time contemplating God's Word. You have an engaging, sincere time of prayer and worship regularly in your life. And you walk intentionally with like-minded brothers and sisters in Christ. And you are eager to bear forth the fruit of the Holy Spirit as he fills you. And you take captive every thought unto the obedience of Christ. And settle your mind on things above rather than things of the earth. And you're looking to Jesus, the author and the, the perfecter, the finisher of your faith. And those kind of attitudes and practices will help you to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And as you grow deeper in your understanding to the person of Christ, both being your Savior and Lord, you'll have greater stability in your life. And that, my friends, will be the way you will strengthen other people around you. So Meadowbrook, we aspire to be like what the Apostle Paul prayed about for the church there in Ephesus. He says, we long to attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure and the stature, the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. What a prayer that is. That might be a prayer that we want to pray all this week. This is my desire, Lord. I want to come in this place of maturity, stability, into the likeness of Christ. Now, that brings me to my last point that I wanted to make in this epistle, and that is, beloved, doxologize Jesus. Doxologize Jesus. Now, doxology is not just something you sing before the offering is taken in a 1970s church. That's the only way I knew the doxology growing up. I didn't know you could take up a dollar in the church without singing the doxology. That's just the way it was where I was growing up. Doxa in the original language is speaking of glory and grandeur. Anology comes from the word logos, which is word, something that's spoken or something that's written. 
so, so very specifically, he is saying, this is glory speaking. Uh, Peter, when he's finishing this letter and he's talking about the grace of God and growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, he could not stop his pen from flowing out just a very quick doxology. Just a some words of God's glory in Jesus Christ. Just couldn't help it. It's just an expression that comes out. Now, if you're ever around somebody and they are constantly bringing glory to Jesus Christ, you might walk away from that and say, weirdo. But I'm telling you, that is a good way for us to think and speak. That when we have an understanding of the grace of God, when we're growing in the grace of God, when you're growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, when you're experiencing something and you recognize Christ is in the middle of it and it's for your good, when, you, when you're reflecting on that, just an expression of, of his glory, of his grandeur, of his goodness, of his grace, that's a prime place for us to just bless him. Speak of his glory. So, Beloved, we ought to doxologize Jesus. And here's his words, to Jesus be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. That day of the, the eternity is when you and I are treasuring there with Christ in all of, of his glory. And we're experiencing heaven in the beginnings of that. That's the day of eternity. So while contemplating that, Peter just could not help but burst into this glorious statement. From this day forward, imagine growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ until the time on earth has ended and you enter into his presence. And in that moment, you will be fully transformed in his glory to be like him. For the Bible says, when you see him, you will be like him. And that prompts us to speak glory of Christ to glorify him. Imagine singing doxologies to Jesus regularly, just simple words of praise to him, simple words affirming his glory, his grandeur, his goodness, and just expressing those in song, maybe just in words of prayer. And then one day you pick up the next refrain, joining the anthem of heaven as the morning breaks, eternal, bright, and fair, as you enter into that heavenly home. There among the saints and the angels, you'll sing and express the glory of God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Meadowbrook, when the Lord returns, or when we die and return to him, I pray that he finds us right there, growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, firm, stable, steady, helping others around us to be the same way, and I want, I want him to find me growing in grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ and expressing his glory. Now let's pray together. I want to go back to that passage of Ephesians and use that as a prayer for us. Join me in praying. While I'm speaking these words, would you engage in your heart in like way? Lord, it's our longing to attain unity of the faith, to be together in faith and knowledge of the Son of God and continue to grow in those things until we are all mature, both men and women, boys and girls. And that maturity would be expressed as we have the fullness of Christ 
the measure, the stature of his fullness. So that we might be steady, no longer like children that are tossed to and fro by waves, carried around by every doctrinal whim that comes by, not shifting with the culture of human cunning by skillful, deceitful schemes, but rather, Lord, we would be steady, speaking the truth in love, and grow up in every way unto him who is our head, Jesus Christ. Oh, to him be glory and honor and power forever and ever. Amen.